getting in touch with like, what is there to gain from having this conversation? And then like, and what is there to lose? We have so much to gain. And what we have to lose is a little bit ridiculous because usually it's just our own discomfort that we're trying to avoid. Welcome to episode number 81 of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. Today we've got Jody Wellman joining us as the first guest in our mini series on the topic of challenging conversations and constructive feedback. I, I know that this series is going to be a podcast bestseller for sure, uh, because everybody on the planet needs uh, to hone these skills. Uh, Jody is founder of 4,000 Mondays. She's an executive coach and speaker who is working at the intersection of happiness, purpose, fulfillment, and death. So I'm keenly interested in where Jody is going to take us today. Thank you in advance for your contributions, Jody. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to to get chatting about uh, the di- the difficulty of difficult conversations with you. Yes. So I I, uh, I looked up on the actuarial tables for how long I am going to expected to live based on the fact that I am a 59 year old uh, male, and uh, the calculation came back, and I have 1,163 Mondays left of my 4,000. Uh, you, you have 18, uh, at least on your website, it says you have over 1,800. Uh, so I, I can I can do that actuarial math. But uh, what do you what do you have to say about my eleven hundred and sixty three Mondays remaining? Oh, okay. Well, first of all, you get ten extra points for even going and calculating it because, admittedly, <laughs> not everybody wants to even know, right? It's amusing right. that we have four thousand to deal with, and then most of us just want to bury our heads in the sand and like deny the fact that we're actually ticking time bombs. <laughs> so, congrats for doing the math and counting it down. Um, I'm curious, does that number make you feel like it's a long time? Does it feel like it's dwindling? What's it like for you? I, I was uh, pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I've got over a thousand of these uh, things left. Uh, and to, we're recording this uh, on a Monday morning. Uh, we're, we're having a great Monday morning so far, so they're not all dreadful. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I was expecting to think about the Mondays I had left with a certain amount of dread, and I, mm-hmm. I was pleasantly surprised. Hmm. Okay, well, well said. We, we can keep that pleasant run going, then it'll be a good day. Excellent. Well, Jody, uh, first question is always uh, on this show. It'd be great if you told our listeners your story. Well, happy to. So I will make this super brief because I think we might get into some more avenues down the road together. Um, so I spent 17 years in uh, corporate leadership roles, and it was in the health and wellness industry. And so my last role in, you know, official kind of corporate role was as senior vice president of operations at a national health club chain, which was so much fun um, until it wasn't. Um, But that was so great that I then, um, you know, learned a lot, gained the experience and then pivoted into leadership coaching and development, you know, solopreneur working for myself and uh, leading CEO advisory boards, which was, again, so much fun, like herding cats as you know, you're one of those cats that needs yes. hurting or you needed hurting, right? Um, and yep. then uh, then transitioned even more kind of to finally point more on a branding side, more towards 4,000 Mondays, towards this sort of thought 
leadership idea of, well, wait, if could we use our mortality as a motivator? And while some might think it's morbid, if I if I make it fun enough, then I think the answer is yes. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm excited to you know, talk more about this, uh, what you're doing at, at 4,000 Mondays, and we'll kind of finish the show with that. Uh, but it, I also ask this question of everyone, if you had to pick one event in your life that just put rocket boosters uh, behind you, what what would that be? Oh, I know you asked that question, and I like it. And it's funny, because mine, I'm going to warp a little bit, because for me, it wasn't so much an event in the moment that edited my course. There are some of those, but Sometimes there's like a retrospective thing, right? Like when you do the analysis, this sort of reflection, it helps highlight something for you. And for me, I think of it as I call it like my stapler story. So this was me back in my corporate role. And I had already been at the point where I knew I was disenchanted. So like, I don't know if you've ever had that, right? Where you're just feeling itchy, you know, you need to make a change, but you don't know how. So I was at my desk working away, stapling stupid things together. And my stapler ran out of staples. Okay, no big deal. Doesn't happen often, but I have to get up and go and find the little box of staples and I get the row of staples and I put it in my stapler and I said to myself, I remember distinctly, I said, I better not be here by the time this row of staples is up. And so I kind of like the challenge was on, right? Except here's the thing is I did nothing about it. And around a year later, still in the same job, I'm stapling stupid pieces of paper together and my stapler runs out again. And I felt like I had been punched. Only the worst part of it all was that it was like I'd punched myself, right? Because I had taken no initiative to make any kind of change, change I was longing to make, but just too scared to make. And so just thematically, I thought it was really interesting thinking about our conversation today about, you know, conflict and having difficult conversations. And like, I was too afraid to have the conversation with myself about what it might actually take to initiate important change in my life to give me a shot at more joy. So anyways, I ended up changing that stapler, reloading it like three times. And I look back now and I think, whoa, like let that be the indicator for me of when I'm doing that thing, like the equivalent of loading the staples in the stapler and thinking, man, like change doesn't happen to us too, too often. Oftentimes we need to be the ones to buck up and initiate something that can be really important in course correcting. So that's my impetus now. It's like, I want to make sure I never live that life again of settling and tolerating for too long. Yeah. Well, what you just said uh, sparked something in me, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, this this conversation that we're going to be having about challenging conversations, uh, too often we forget about the uh, voices that live inside of our heads and the various uh, personalities that we carry around with us that, you know, all the self-talk that's happening, you have to have challenging conversations with yourself uh, (laughs) as well. So uh, yes, this this whole mini-series is about me having a challenging conversation with somebody who's sitting uh, across from me. Uh, but but yeah, it, uh, it it's going to happen within us as well. Well said. Uh, I love yeah, that. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So let's dive into the topic at hand, which is challenging conversations. Can you help us understand your approach to delivering constructive feedback and engaging in that difficult conversation? Yeah, yeah. I love this topic, maybe because it's so tough and because so many clients I work with, it's, this, is, this is the juiciest thing. So I love that you're talking about this. And I, I'm um, going to channel my dad right now, who I was raised to believe in the five Ps. I think he made them up. 
and its proper planning prevents poor performance. And so when it comes to constructing a conversation that we often need to kind of kind of get the gumption up to have, because it's it's for most human beings, it isn't natural or easy to give somebody feedback that is not glowing, right? Yeah. And and let, that's a whole other topic that sometimes we withhold glowing feedback too, which is just a whole other psychological can of worms. But planning, right? Sitting down and saying, okay, what's the message I want to impart? And why do I want to deliver this again? Because I think that if we can get back in touch with the why around how the feedback is designed not to embarrass or shame or show seniority, it's about, like, let me help you get better. And so that mental framing, I think, is super important. And then, uh, like, here's the deal, is we have a choice point at all times as leaders about whether to have or not have a conversation, right? And most leaders just don't. Like, most leaders I work with would rather fire somebody than actually have the constructive conversation along the way, which is fascinating, right? You've seen this. It is. And so getting in touch with like, what is there to gain from having this conversation? And then like, and what is there to lose? So when we do stop and we think about the thing we really have, we have so much to gain. And what we have to lose is a little bit ridiculous because usually it's just our own discomfort that we're trying to avoid. We say that we also don't want to hurt their feelings or demotivate them or all the things for them. Yes, that's true. And it's mostly that we just don't want to sit in that uncomfortable kind of moment or two or 10 or 20 while we're having the conversation. And so, you know, never have I ever, 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 that's three evers, that's a lot. Have I ever had a leader that I worked with regret having that difficult conversation? Like, have you ever had the feedback conversation that you had to buck up for and then thought, oh man, I wished I hadn't done it? No, it's it's almost uh, invariably it is some type of relief uh, that that you feel that wow and why didn't I have that uh, why didn't I have that conversation sooner uh, because because they because the other side wanted to have it as well and we were all walking around each other and not engaging and just kind of hoping that whatever it is would go away right. but. Hope's not a management strategy, and <laughs> manage and magic is uh, typically science. <laughs> uh, hide, hiding is myth and mystique. So, um, yeah, you just you just got to get into it. Yeah, absolutely. So, at Four Thousand Mondays, mm-hmm. um, you're focused on helping individuals make the most out of the Mondays that they have left on this pale blue dot. I'm I'm the pale blue dot guy. Uh, channeling Carl Sagan. We're all here uh, living together. You talk about living wider and deeper. Uh, How does the willingness and ability to say what needs to be said when it needs to be said constructively play into the goal of living a wider and deeper life? Mm -hmm. Mm, Right. Oh, I like that. Well, for quick context, I guess, like for me, living wider is this um, infusion of uh, adding vitality into life. So more the experiences and pleasure and fun and like traditional happiness, right? And in this framework for me, living deeper, uh, the construct there is about adding more meaning into life, more purpose and meaning and fulfillment and so on. And so that covers a different dimension of well-being. And so it's all lovely together, right? And so the way that I connect the dots, I guess, to your question about the the, the difficult conversation that we've already hopefully gone through the mindset of thinking about, okay, there's so much more to gain. There's so much more to to 
come from helping someone to hopefully maybe be a better version of themselves. I see that maybe the reverse is where, where it's highlighted best is that choosing not to have the conversation is a conscious choice to live smaller. Yes. For you as the feedback giver, leader, manager, colleague, maybe, or I mean, this can go beyond the, the bounds of work, of course, it could be a friend or spark partner. And your choice to have the conversation is a conscious choice to participate, I think, in life. And that's so much of the way I relate it to the wider and deeper. It's like committing to living and doing, the, that's the ups and the downs, right? So it's going to involve stuff that might be uncomfortable, but especially when it's in service of something that's so much greater. And I look at the impact of being the feedback deliverer and the delivery, like the recipient, and life gets wider and deeper when you are able to maturely and with care let someone know, hey, I have some, I have feedback that's going to help you to develop or get better or uh, get promoted and, and quite frankly, realize more out of your life. Like that to me is a conscious choice to live with more intention versus the, I'm going to just sweep it under the carpet or I'm going to avoid it because I don't want the emotional discomfort for the 15 minutes that it might take for me to actually have a good heart to heart with you. Like, yeah. let's, let's, like, let's, let's participate. Let's play. Yeah. I just love that. Uh, you know, that choice of not providing feedback mm -hmm. is a choice to live smaller. Uh, that, that, that just really resonates with me. And, uh, and to engage in uh, constructive feedback is to, is to, is to live a, a, a bigger, a bigger experience in this world. I just, well, right. I just love that, Jody. Well, I'm glad you do, because you're reminding me now of that concept, you know, the idea about um, playing to win versus yeah. playing not to lose. And that is so appropriate, I think, in our conversation here is, you know, it's easy to play not to lose. It's easy to play it safe and choose harmony or what we perceive to be harmony. Oh, I'm just right. going to keep the peace and not rock the boat with Johan, who I do have something awkward to say, but I just I don't want to I don't want to go there. So that's playing small. That's playing not to lose. Versus, you know what, take a bit of a risk. Yeah, there may be a bit of upheaval or there may be a bit of a rough patch, but Johan's going to live wider and deeper and you're going to live wider and deeper after that one or two or maybe even three conversations. Yeah. Worth it. Yeah. So Jody, is there a, is there a mentor, former boss, colleague that in your opinion just had outstanding, challenging conversation skills and what, what made them different? What set them oh. apart? Okay. First person that comes to mind is an old boss. He's a former CEO. Uh, may he rest in peace. He passed away last year. Um, but this gentleman was he's like the king of candor. I mean, he would say what was on his mind. And partly that was his brand. And so you can <laughs> kind of get away with being um, more of a here's how it is when that's how you present daily. So there's maybe a hot tip. Make it your brand. Who knows? Right. Um, but he had this way of... Like it, it was, it was born probably from a bit of a military background for, for him, but of a, it's just sort of no nonsense. Like this ain't personal. Uh, in fact, it's personal. If I don't tell you, it's that I care so much about our results that we're going to like, I, they're uncompromising. We need to get there and we need to win. And we need to just be so proud together of how we're achieving this, that shame on me. If I didn't tell you, like it would never cross Barry's mind Right. that whether he should or shouldn't give the feedback. Like I still distinctly remember a meeting, which 
maybe maybe this wasn't um, completely done with as much finesse, but one gentleman in the meeting was was uh, talking about something and he used a word that Barry did not hesitate to say, hold up, wait a minute. He said, you realize that irregardless is not a word, don't you? Uh, correcting this gentleman who will never use the word irregardless again, and nor would anyone right. around the table. Um, but it was so berry, and that made that's not my style. You know, I'm much more of a massage it, make it soft, cover it up with some, you know, chocolate or something. But the point is, he just said it, and you knew his intentions were so, so spot on about, like, I care too much about you and me and our results. Like, we're not going to dilly-dally around by tippy-toeing around it. That was inspiring to watch in action. All right. Well, uh, Jody, we're going to take a quick break for a commercial uh, and uh, we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andrew Tempty. In my book, Balancing Act, Teach, Coach, Mentor, Inspire, I explore the characteristics required of leaders who must find balance between strength and vulnerability, confidence and selflessness, passion and measure, and leadership and followership. Balancing Act is available today at Amazon.com. And we're back with Jody Wellman talking about challenging conversations in life and in the workplace. Uh, Jody, let's run a quick thought experiment. Suppose you have an early career manager right in front of you right now who struggles to have effective, challenging conversations. What advice do you have for them? Oh, this one is so ripe, isn't it? <gasps> Other than just wanting to take and shake somebody, which doesn't really work in my opinion, nope. my experience. Um, I have two thoughts and one is more on like the mindset side and then one's a little bit more on like the skill set side. And the first one is this question of like, would you rather be liked or respected? And I actually think that there's a middle ground there, which is nice because most, um, many people are uh, pleasers. Like I'm a card carrying member of that society. And, and uh, so sometimes it's hard to give feedback because we want to be liked. And at the end of the day, though, you know, most of us respect leaders, like I was telling you a minute ago about Barry, my former CEO, many moons ago, that, you know, the ability to give feedback is so crucial. And even though it might not feel great receiving it in the moment, because we might feel defensive or that little stinging feeling, at the end of it all, like every time you've received it, you've always felt at the end so grateful, right? That someone actually cared enough to give you that feedback. And so I say, be like, what's the mindset? Do you want to be the pleaser who just wants to be liked, which is not going to really be that effective for you long-term in your career? Or do you want to be respected for being known as, I'm going to tell you because this is in our best interest and I care. Uh, so that's the mindset. Skill set wise this one is like a cheap and easy one. Sometimes in order to build the habit of giving feedback, let's just automate it. And so I'm a fan of adding feedback giving to your agenda. So, you know, you have one-on-one -on -one meetings and ideally, depending on the role and, the, and the whatnot, it could be weekly, bi-weekly, whatnot. Have it just be a no-brainer that the last item on every single agenda is just feedback. And that way you don't need to muster up the courage right. to call and say, are you free on Tuesday at four to talk and make it a big deal? No, it's just, okay. On our next one-on-one -on -one, Thursday afternoon, I'm going to give feedback on how I thought that maybe that proposal went. And, and okay, is it second best to experts that say you need to give feedback in the moment? Of course it's second best, but you know what? Most of us aren't giving the feedback at all. And so I'd rather it be 14 days later than not at all. And so 
uh, automate it. And I, and I also think a hot tip there is to make that feedback um, bullet point agenda, make it two-way. So that it's also an opportunity for your team member to say, okay, where where do I need to know about what to stop, start, or continue, or do more of or less of or whatnot? So just automate it and just make it less painful. Yeah, I I love that suggestion of, you know, in our one-on-ones, we're going to conclude our conversation by having a little feedback session. Uh, because I, you know, I I am vehemently opposed to the annual review. I've been public, very public about this. I think annual reviews, uh, you know, if if they are necessary from a compliance perspective to tick some sort of box, then yes, do them. Uh, but uh, you know, the feedback needs to be an ongoing in the flow of business uh, kind, kind of thing. We, we, and the only way that we really get good at it is to do it on a reasonably frequent basis. Because yeah. if you wait for the annual review, uh, everybody's all worked up and nothing is really going to come of it. Oh, we are so eye to eye on this. I keep thinking like feedback is a lifestyle, not an event. Like it should, you know, the whole idea about it being a surprise when you get your review about what your leader really thinks about you. Oh, shame, shame on. Like that to me is the biggest corporate crime that can be committed, to be super honest. That to me is just, oh, it's a finable offense. I I like that corporate crime. (laughs) Now, (laughs) Jody, I I love to talk about skills on this show. Uh, You talked about one skill of, you know, weaving feedback Mm -hmm. into, uh, into the the daily work. Uh, what Mm -hmm. other skills, uh, Mm -hmm. would you tell our listeners that they should Mm -hmm. hone, uh, to become better at delivering constructive feedback? Okay. (sighs) Picking up a few. The first one would be actually, it's a, it's also like a character strength. It's courage. And, uh, you know, I'm busting on it. Like, um, you know, we should be able to do this easily. And, you know, I, I've struggled with it for years and especially in domains, uh, it can be harder than others, right? So some of us find it easier in our personal life, harder at work or vice versa, but it does take courage to confront a situation. And that is why the preparation, like the five P's I mentioned earlier and making it and automated wherever possible to take any of the guesswork out of it is key, but, but acknowledging that it is going to take some mustered up courage in order to, to really say, this isn't easy and yet. The alternative would be so much worse than, you know, again, this little small time for discomfort. So having courage to, is big. Um, the second one I think is self-awareness. And you actually paraphrase um, our conversation earlier, I think in a way that was really cool to acknowledge that like having the difficult conversations with ourselves. But, you know, often as leaders, when we're giving someone feedback, we need to look in the mirror first and say, well, wait, where am I maybe involved in this little conundrum going on here? Like, if I'm disappointed in Yolanda's performance, is it actually because I'm a crappy delegator, you know, and I'm actually not being crystal clear with what I expect? So how could Yolanda ever shine? You know, or is it because maybe I am... um, too aggressive or maybe not empathetic enough when I give feedback and it's always an awkward experience. So the the idea about, you know, turning in and looking inward, I think is, is really yeah. important around being a feedback giver. Like you do need to take some care with this, right? Like I'm talking about mustering up courage, but it's not so you can blast and blare, right? It's to be very right. caring and considerate. Um, and another key skill would be really perseverance. And that sounds funny, but like this is, I think, is part of the reason why 
uh, giving feedback is so unappetizing for many leaders is that you might, whew, you had you had the conversation, good news, and you might high five your spouse at home because gosh knows they've been hearing all about it, <laughs> the situation, <That'd> right. <laughs> and you're going to have a celebratory night, and then. And then two weeks later, Yolanda still hasn't magically changed in the way that you have given Yolanda really caring and constructive feedback. And you're going to hit your head against the wall, right? And this is where we have to be perseverant or we have to be tenacious and still say, hey, I'm going to still not let this go because I think this is where leaders will uh, now enable poor behavior. I gave you feedback once in February but then I noticed you slipped again all through March and April and May and June. And then I'm just going to, what, like you said, tell you in September in the year-end review. Like, no, you need to practice what I call the art of the kickback. You know, when someone gives you work back, perhaps that based on what you agreed upon, the standards would look like. If it still doesn't look right, you can't fix their work. You can't not address it again. You need to be vigilant and say, hey, you know what? Come on back. Let's revisit. Remember, we had that conversation a couple weeks back. I think we need to kind of go back there again because I'm noticing a couple of the things we talked about. Let's let's just kind of have an open conversation about it. Like you need to you need to stick with it or else you're just going to make everybody's life more miserable unless you're willing to to keep giving that feedback yeah. and or maybe even performance manage somebody up and out. Yeah, and that that I, I like the perseverance. Uh, mm. I, my opinion is it's got to go hand in glove with that self awareness, uh, because sometimes we can get, uh, you know, you talked about you know being a bulldog and just mm. ramming home the the point. Sometimes yeah. we have to take a step back and ask, "Is this me?" <laughs> ah, yeah. You know, <laughs> is, is well, it? thank you for actually the way you just just rephrased that made me think. Therein lies another stumbling block for leaders, right? Is that, oh, shoot, if I give feedback, it's actually just going to highlight for both of us how how lackluster I've been as a leader because maybe I do the very same things that I'm trying to give you feedback on, right? Yeah. Like if you're trying to give feedback about, you know, showing up on time, like if you never show up, what's that going to be like? Or, you know, whether it's about um, diligence, like attention to detail, you may be the world's worst detailer. And so there are things where sometimes, you know, if you're the pot calling the kettle black, you might, but in that case, it doesn't, it's not an excuse not to give the feedback. Sometimes you just need a, um, a disclaimer up front, right? That, Hey, I recognize I need to work on some of these things too. Right. And so let's maybe have a discussion about what I've noticed about some of your performance. And then let's talk about it in terms of maybe where, um, a, I can support you, but also I can even be more effective. Like, yeah. Make it a feedback jubilee, jumbly, like with both of you together. It can be yeah. it can be additive and constructive together. Yeah, that that the vulnerability, I, I think, is uh, what I was trying to put into the into the stew uh, there. That <laughs> that it that sometimes it is you. Uh, so Jody, as we begin to close out the show, I'd like to get your thoughts on a related topic. You've alluded to it, but the mm. topic is change management. Mm. Uh, in in your assessment, how does our ability or lack thereof to effectively navigate change impact our ability to have challenging conversations? Oh, wow. I think it's, they're, they're tied together miserably, right? So I think you, um, when you, when you say change management, I immediately go to the, you know, the VUCA acronym, like when things are volatile or uncertain or complicated, complex or ambiguous, like that's when most leaders are super challenged and any of the skills that we feel like they're fledging, they're going to just sort of fall by the wayside because we're going to focus on our own flailing somewhere else, right? Where we think it's going to be more effective. And um, 
there's some, there's a phrase I've always liked around the idea about handling ambiguity and it's about being willingness, like the willingness to be okay with murkiness. And that does mean when it comes to handling change, when things are moving fast around us, it's like, are you taking the time that you perceive you don't have to spend giving feedback to people that need it and want it? Especially because generationally, we haven't even cracked into that yet, but like newer generations of the workforce are just craving, they're starving for feedback to become more effective, right? Which is funny because we're just like missing some of those signals um, other generations are. So um, we're perceiving we don't have the time because everything's crazy. We can't handle the ambiguity. We can't handle it. There's so much going on when maybe the most important thing on the priority list is getting people centered and square so that they're not ambiguous. They're, they're, they're not functioning that well in that murkiness give them the structure and feedback that they need, give the, have the difficult conversation and over-invest in that side of things rather than trying to strategize and do a lot of the other maybe harder skills that are also noble. Um, but don't miss out on, like the perception of time is funny because this all leads back to, of course, our roads together about how our time is limited in life, right? right. And so there will, there's never enough time to do all the things that we want to do or in, achieve as leaders or work on with your team. But if you're going to bubble one thing up, especially during change management, it's let people know where they stand. Let people know where they shine. Let people know where they could be even shinier. And then let them do some of the heavy lifting amidst some of this kind of turbulent time. Right, right. Well, Jody, this has been a fantastic uh, uh, show. I just loved our time together. Uh, final question, just a few sentences what are you most excited about for the future of 4,000 Mondays? What's your current passion? Oh, well, I appreciate you asking. So there are, there are two things that are bubbling around my world that make me so excited. I can barely contain myself. Um, one is that I am writing a book on nice. how to undead your life, which is super fun. You know this full well. We could, mm -hmm. you know, share crazy stories there. And then the other one uh, is that I've kind of revamped and worked a workshop that I do with teams about um, understanding your leadership legacy. You know, how do you want to be remembered? What do you want to leave behind? What's the most important thing? Like, how can you be a leader that people look at and think, wow, I love what they left in their wake. And I don't mean the wake as in literally you passed on, but when you've been either, um, when there's a merger acquisition or you've moved on or up and out and so on. So uh, the leadership legacy webinar, I'm just, a, a workshop is, uh, is, is definitely filling my cup these days. That's awesome. Uh, you know, the whole concept of being a steward uh, of, of a business, uh, you know, that is just central uh, to that question. And uh, not to, you know, my in my first book, I have this uh, metaphor of for leaders that you are responsible for your own wake. Uh, not, not from a death perspective, but, you know, imagine yourself on a waterway and you are, uh, you, you are a boat uh, and mm -hmm. you, as a leader, you're a bigger boat and bigger boats throw off bigger wakes. And what is the impact on teams and the environment of how you are cutting through, uh, the water, uh, the, the, the metaphorical water of your business. So. Ooh, love, yeah, I good. love that. It's yeah. beautiful. 
All right. Well, Jody, we've we've uh, we've got to cut things off here. Really thankful that you're here today. Your contributions were impeccable. My name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. You can find us on all the major podcasting services as well as YouTube. Please like, subscribe, rate, share, all that fun stuff. And we will see you next time.